Don't you love Brother Wright? Don't you love his wife? Somebody better say yeah. You better clap on that one. You can't be saved without him. Hello? I give honor to them. Thank the Lord for them. And I think he's probably been a better friend to me than I've been to him. But I value that um, very, very much. I read a deal one time that said if you get to the end of your life and you can say that in the course of your life you know for a fact you had seven good friends, you can consider yourself a wealthy person in the area of friends. And uh, I, I, I believe when this is all over, if I don't mess the deal up, I believe I'll be able to say they were our friends. And I hope they can say that we were theirs. Scripture says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And I believe that your pastor and his wife would have fit in well in that group. I I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love supernatural ministry. I don't believe we can be apostolic without it. But I find myself, the older I get, um, as if not more interested in character uh, and integrity than I am just about anything else. God used a mule one time because he had integrity. And that dude riding on him didn't have enough to do right. So the Lord had to talk to him through a mule. When a mule you riding has got more character than you do, something's wrong. And I, I appreciate their character. I appreciate their integrity. And all these men of God on the platform... I thank the Lord for all of them and their families and honor them. And uh, they would not be on this platform or in leadership if they also did not have character and integrity. And you're blessed to have the leadership you've got. Very blessed. I want to read one verse while you're standing, and then I'm going to read an entire book of the Bible while you're seated. <clears throat> That's correct. Second uh, Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 7. This is the one verse I'm going to read while you're standing. I give honor to my wife and children. Somebody asked me, I was holding Malachi. They said, where are the girls? I said, they're somewhere tearing up another room in the school. I don't know. Don't you let the little smiles fool you. <clears throat> I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I fought a good fight. He wasn't saying his performance was good. He wasn't saying he fought well. He was saying, I've been involved in a worthy struggle. That's not what he's not saying. I did good. This is not a performance issue. He's saying, I've been involved in a worthy battle. I finished my course. And I kept the faith. I know a lot of people that didn't think it was a good struggle worth being involved with. And they got out of it. I know a lot of people that started on this course and then decided they wanted another one and they switched. And I know a lot of people that started out in the faith and then they left the faith because they couldn't keep it or wouldn't keep it. Something else was more important to them. I have fought a good fight. I really do hope this could be Should the Lord tarry long enough for me to pass away, I've decided I'm going to live to be at least 101. So um, 
I have fought a good fight. That's right. I've made that decision. I have fought a good fight. If I don't, I'm going to be shocked. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. It is my prayer that when this is all said and done for me, should I go by way of the grave, that you could etch this into my tombstone and it be true. Which, speaking of that, my wife and them were talking another day and got all spiritual about funerals and, and somebody had died and they were talking about people getting the Holy Ghost at their funeral and my wife's like, oh yeah, that's the way I want to go. Well, I'm going to tell you what I told her so that if I don't make the rapture alive, you can hold her to what I've said, make sure she abides by it. Y'all can talk in tongues on Sunday and run all the aisles you want to on Sunday. But at my funeral, somebody better be weeping and wailing, falling in my casket. <laughs> Y'all talking tongues on your time. That's my day and you're going to act like you miss me. If you got to pay some people to come up in there and cry and just, ah, always ah, go. You do what, don't you be talking, you, you do that on your time. You can seat yourself in Jesus' name. Crying and carrying on. Oh, yeah. Play like you miss me. My wife said she goes before me. She wants me to put a blanket in there with her. I'll make you a deal. You fall out. If I, if I go first, you just fall right out on the floor. Get right down there at the front, walking past, and just fall out. Pow! And I'll see to it, somebody gets you a blanket. Uh, We're going to read the whole book of Philippians. For those of you that are behind on your Bible reading, we're going to catch you up. Uh, Philippians chapter number 1. There's 104 verses here for your hearing and consumption and ingestion. Pay attention, there's something I want you to notice throughout this entire book. Now, I'm not going to say there won't be commentary. There could be some running commentary here, so just bear with it. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all, it's important to know who you are and to whom you've been applied. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy, uh, writing to uh, the church at Philippi, and he's telling them, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. In other words, every time I think of you, I give God thanks for you. Let me just ask you a question concerning character. Are, Are there people in your life that you couldn't do that for? Every time you think of them, you thank God for them. If there's people in your life you couldn't do that for, figure out what the problem is and get it fixed. Always and every, we won't be apostolic. Well, there's some, there's some apostolic characteristics that we're supposed to demonstrate. It ain't all about raising the dead, and I believe in all that, and I've seen that happen three times. But there's some other stuff that's qualifications to see that kind of authority happen. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship. Notice that, with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he said, I'm confident of this about you. The one that's begun a good work in you will perform it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. In other words, I believe you're going to stay with it. I have such confidence in you that you're going to stay with the one who began a good work in you, and he's not going to give up on you if you won't give up on him. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and uh, confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I don't know why I didn't just say heart, but he said bowels. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve all things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of of Christ, uh, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He said, I want you to understand something. I realize that the things that have happened to me have been for the benefit of the gospel to be feathered. So don't feel bad for me because of what I've had to go through. That's a pretty optimistic perspective, isn't it? So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to all my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ preached? And I therefore do rejoice. Look how positive he is. I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Because you're praying for me, this is going to work to my good. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope. Pastor was talking about expectations a while ago. And my hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I wonder if that could be said of all of us today. It's, it's amazing to me because a lot of times I'll ask congregations, or from time to time I have asked congregations, who in this room is afraid of dying? And it's shocking to me how many times in a place where everybody is supposedly filled with the Holy Ghost uh, and ready to go to heaven, uh, the majority of the people in the building are afraid of death. I hadn't figured that out yet, except for the fact we must not be ready for it. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I want to go be with Jesus, but I'm pretty happy with this thing too. And I love my children. I think the funnest things outside of kingdom ministry, the funnest things I've ever been involved with is being a husband and a dad in that order. And, and I, uh, my wife will say to me from time to time when they travel with me, uh, looking around our hotel room, it looks like an explosion went off in there, just a bomb of immense proportion. So do you appreciate traveling alone now? She'll say, and I say, well, it has its perks. But I'd rather them be with me and in that madness and chaos than to be without them somewhere wishing they were there. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. 
Yet what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He said, I'm caught between two places. I want to go be with Christ. I want to go to heaven. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Have you ever considered this scripture in relation, Brother Bickley, to what it would be like if one of us said this to the vast majority of the brethren? I want to go to heaven, but you need me to stay here, so I'm going to stay here with y'all. I'm just hoping nobody jump up and say, buddy, you can go on. We're good. He said, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance. I'm here for you to go further. And I'm here for your joy. And I'm here for your faith. Boy, you wouldn't say that in very many places today. I'm here so y'all will be happy. Yeah, right. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for by me, for me by my coming to you again. He's again stating to them, I am necessary for you right now. So I'm asking the Lord, don't take me home yet. Leave me with the people of God. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, whether I'm with you or not, I want to hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, he's telling them, I'm caught between two places. I want to go be with the Lord, but yet I need to be here with you. However, if I'm going to stay here, here's what I want from you. I want your conversations to be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, I don't want all the griping. I don't want all the murmuring. I don't want all the complaining. I don't want all the division. I don't want the nonsense going on. And whether I'm with you or not, I want to hear that you're standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving together. For what? The faith of the gospel. So if I'm going to have to stay here, this is the way I want you to live. I want your conversations to be all about Jesus. And I want everything you do to be done in unity toward the furtherance of the gospel. And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. But to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded like me. And, and, and all be in the same frame of mind, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, anytime something is mentioned more than once in scripture, you need to really pay attention to what it is he's talking about. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Now, he was talking about them folks that didn't want to get involved the other day. You know, I, I thought about one of those old leadership principles, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I grew up in South Arkansas, and there's my Arkansas brother right over there, Brother Whittington, and he's from Arkansas. I've been down in the southern part. But I remember as a kid growing up, we'd have said it like, do your job, follow somebody that is doing their job, or get on out of here.
Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. Look not, isn't that powerful? Do everything you do with lowliness of mind. And don't do it to prove to somebody you're smarter than them or better than them. But whatever you're doing concerning the body and the kingdom, esteem everybody around you as greater than you. As, oh, you think you're better than me. We should never say that to somebody else. Our statement to somebody else ought to be, I think you're better than me. I think God's going to use you greater than he's ever used me. I think God intends to do more through your ministry than he's ever done. That's what Paul said do. Don't be full of strife and vainglory. Don't take all the attention to yourself. Find somebody else to lift up and value higher than you value your own self. I'm talking about being apostolic, but there's some characteristics that go with being an apostolic. Let not every man own his own things. Look not every man on his own things. Don't pay attention to what you're doing only. But every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Everybody say servant. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he what? He what? Humbled who? My being humbled is not somebody else's job. It is not my job to make you be humble, and it's not your job to make me humble. It is my God-given responsibility to humble myself. It is hard to be caught up in contentious strife and brawling and carrying on when I'm busy humbling myself before God and man. If we're going to be sanctified people and be apostolic, there's some things we got to grow up and start acting right. Humbled himself. John had the revelation that I might decrease, he said. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And then became obedient unto death. You will never be obedient until first you're humble. And you will never be humble until you make your mind up. I don't care how bad the situation is. I don't care how bad your circumstances are. I don't care how deep the valley is or how dark the night is. Nothing, no environment, no situation will ever humble you. You have to be willing to break. I've got to make the decision. I'm going to be humbled in the presence of God one way or the other, Lord. And the degree to which God has to take us to get us to that point is dependent upon us. We could break on day one and it'd be over. But not us. Oh, no. He humbled himself. Then he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly... Now notice the sequential order here. He was just a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even willing to go to the cross. And because he was willing to go to the cross, then God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Get a relationship with God. Do do pray a little bit more uh, without me being there than you're doing now. Pray pray in such a way that you don't need me preaching to you 24 hours a day for you to be saved. If the only time Jesus has a good shot at getting us out of here on Rapture Day is while we gather together in a church service or in a small group or somewhere, we're, we're in trouble. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When? Much more in my absence. I'm going to let that soak in a minute. On the job, in the car, fishing, hunting, shopping, taking a nap. Don't ever separate yourself from making sure your salvation is where it ought to be. Working out your own salvation with fear and trembling is a 24-hour-a-day job. Hello, somebody. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without what? Oh, be brave. Somebody say it. Do all things without what? And what? I'll say it again. Be proud. Do all things without what? Boy, y'all real strong on that murmuring business, but that dispute deal, y'all are pumping the brakes on it. Say it again. Do all things without what? Look to neighbor and tell them, quit arguing with me about everything. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Let me see something here. I believe this would be worth taking a sidebar for. <clears throat> the Amplified Classic says, do all things without grumbling and fault. Oh, 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 oh. Hallelujah. I feel my help moving up on me now. If I had a B3 working with me. Ooh. Do all things without grumbling. And fault fi- finding. Complaining. Ah, and questioning. And doubting among yourselves. Wow, that's... I'm, oh, I heard... You want me to read? Okay. Do all things without grumbling, fault-finding, complaining against God, and questioning and doubting among yourselves. Oh, well, I just felt like they needed somebody to vent to. The devil is a lie. Oh, uh, no, we ain't no, there ain't no venting going on in the kingdom. We're going to the prayer room. Gripe session, nothing. We need a prayer meeting. I'm just talking about being apostolic. That's all I'm talking to you about. That you may, what? why does he want us to do it without murmuring and disputing? There's always a reason. God never asks you to do something without there being a reason. That you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God. Do you realize that these, these are disqualifiers to being a son of God? Verse 14, if you don't stop doing it, it disqualifies you from the benefits of verse 15. Hello? 
Why do you not want me to murmur and, do, and be disputing all the time? So you can be blameless and harmless and be the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's this, this, somehow the enemy has convinced us that our opinions are important. But opinions are like noses. Everybody's got them. And from time to time, you blow it. Well, I was just trying to help them. No, 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 no. The difference between advice and opinions, anybody know what it is? One's asked for. If they're not asking me for counsel, it's just me giving them my opinion. What verse am I on? Huh? 14, y'all want to hear that one again? Okay, fine. Do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless, harmless to sons of God without rebuke. You don't have to worry about coming to church and getting called out by somebody who's got a prophetic ministry. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you, what? Shine as lights in the world. If you don't demonstrate these characteristics, you're not going to shine as a light in the world, period. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain. Hello. Fought a good fight. I haven't run in vain. Neither labored in vain. Isn't that a positive statement? Verse number 16. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now, I'm going to tell you, these two verses here have just stunned me lately. I have no man like-minded. Paul. Paul. Is saying, I had nobody who had naturally caught my spirit and loved you the way I do. So I'm having to send someone to do it. Have you ever wondered why that prophet faced off with Jezebel's prophets by himself? He had a school of prophets. I'm going to tell you what, we're missing it in the apostolic church, in my opinion. We're not, we're not focused on impartation like we ought to be, and we're not focused on people catching the spirit of ministry. Like we ought to be. That old prophet stood off against all those prophets of Baal by himself. And he had a school of prophets. Where were they at? Why was Moses only able to go up that mountain with one guy? (laughs) Moses put a fence around that mountain and anybody that crosses it, I'm going to kill them. And yet, shortly after that fence was built, Moses and Joshua head up that mountain. Why didn't God kill Joshua? Because to get where he was, he didn't have to cross that fence. He was standing right beside the man of God when the man of God said, this is the line. There are some things in your life and in your walk with God that it would behoove you to figure out sooner rather than later. Wherever the man of God is in your life, put away all the murmuring and disputing. And wherever the man of God in your life is, 
get right beside him. I'm here. Whatever you see, I want to see. Whatever you know, I want to know. Whatever you hear, I want to hear. Whatever you feel, I want to feel. So I can't have a fence between us. I've got to be on the same side of that structure as you are. Joshua was the only person in the entire camp of Israel that got to see what he saw. Because he was where he should have been when the fence went up. And if you think that your walk with God is going to not include fences, you are in for a mistake. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Here's why. For all seek their own. I got my own ministry. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. That's why in leadership, the thing that I guess you pastors probably have to look for the most is somebody's got your spirit. And that feels almost arrogant to say from, from the position of maybe being the pastor. But you can't, you, you can't, you cannot put people in leadership from your position this way that don't have your spirit. That don't have this vision. That don't have the concept of it. And I don't care if we see the picture you see. We've got to feel the passion you feel. Well, i got a ministry. You may have, but you need to get the right spirit so your ministry can have a place in the kingdom. For all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. He said, you know his proof. Timothy's proof. Timothy's qualifications are, he served with me in the gospel. <laughs> oh, I'm going to move on or we'll never get to verse 104. But I am going to tell you sometime the only proof a guy needs or a lady needs to be involved in ministry, whether we agree with it or not, and whether we see it or not, or whether they went to the same trouble that we went through to have a ministry, if the man of God says they have served with me in the ministry and that alone is their proof, hello, then that alone ought to be good enough for us. And if you'll notice, Paul didn't say how long he served in the gospel with him. He didn't put a time limit on it and say, okay, you get tenure after five years. He said his proof is simply the fact that he served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you, Ephroditus, my brother and companion in labor, fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you and was full of heaviness because he had heard that ye had heard that I had been sick. He had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only him, but on me also. Isn't that a positive statement? Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receiving him, therefore, receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous for your, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Now.
case you've not picked up on it, he was not talking about canines. That's what he considered those folks he was talking about. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though that's a powerful statement. I have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying, now notice this, this is a profound statement. I count everything as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. He didn't say I count all this stuff as loss so that I might do this or have this or be that in the kingdom. He said, just knowing Jesus makes everything else nothing but garbage to me. I consider everything else nothing but a garbage and a distraction compared to knowing him. And it seems to me that one of the things we do the least in the kingdom now is get to know him. Hello? We're all about the hand of God, but very few of us really want the face of God. We want the hand of God. We want him to do this, do this, fix this, fix that. But he's trying to get us past his hand and all the way up to his face to get to know him. That I might know him. What things to me were gain, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom, whose Lord? He is. He took, he took the, the point to make, he's mine. He's my Lord. He's, I know he's yours, but he's mine. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And just a side note there, that my Lord business, as long as it's somebody else's Lord, you don't feel a responsibility to submit to his law. I was in Japan a few years ago with a guy, and everybody was bowing, and hey, hey. Even at McDonald's, going through the drive through they'd bow right plumb out that window. And I said to the fellow that was with me, I said, I've been, I'd been working on it. Hey, I'd got to, hey. I was working on it. I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to. And I said, are you going to learn how to say, hey? He says, not my custom. <clears throat> there are a lot of us that have that as a mantra for this kingdom business. He might be your Lord, but that's not my custom. I don't have to bow to that custom because I don't, I don't acknowledge him as mine yet. Just a small thing to think about. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means... I'll do whatever I gotta do to attain under the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained or were either already perfect, but I followed after that I, don't you ever get to the place that you think you've already arrived. 
but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and that's the reason some people can't move forward. They can't forget what's back there. Forgive yourself, put it under the blood, and move on. Reaching forth under those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in God in Christ. Of God in Christ. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be other mind, otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto who? If your motives are right and your characteristics are right and your characters where it ought to be, God will talk to you. He shouldn't always have to talk to somebody else about you. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God, it's a definitive statement, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. I don't care if you've already made that turn, if you've already gotten past that level. You walk by the same rule. And let, I don't care how long you've been in the kingdom, I don't care if you've been in the kingdom 30 minutes or 30 years, you live by the same rule. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who minded earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Finally, brethren, let me say to you, this is chapter 4. It is the final chapter of our reading, and there's only 23 verses in there. Everybody say, praise God. Therefore, my brethren, dearly loved and longed for. Boy, I'm telling you, this guy's very optimistic. For my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Dias, and beseech that other brother, Syntec, something. Uh that they may be of the same mind in the Lord. And for those of you that are theologically advanced beyond me, please let me know how to protect, uh, pronounce that after service. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Have you noticed something here in the first three verses already? He's trying to get them to work together, to think about one another, to care about one another, and to be kind to one another and take care of one another. Hello? Anybody want to see the dead raised? Anybody want to see the sick healed? The blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, tongues will be loose so that the mute can talk? Then there's some things we're going to have to act right about. Rejoice in the Lord always. What a positive thing to say. And again, I say, we even wrote a song about it sometime back. Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, 
which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to make you a promise. And it's true whether you believe it or not. If you will read verse number 8 multiple times a day and memorize it and say it all the time, you will get to the place that when people get around you and start talking about all they don't like and all that's going on, remember he said, I don't do all things without this murmuring, and and now he's saying, here's how you should be acting. If you'll get to the point that this this verse number 8 becomes a mantra for you, you will literally almost break out in hives when negative people want to come around. It's hot in here. I don't know what, why they got the heat on in here. So I... oh, if you'd shut your mouth, it might cool off a little bit. Good gracious. It ain't no wonder it takes God an hour and a half. You praise and worship people. Y'all need to get them some stools up here to sit on and do their job. Because as long as it takes us some time to get the old pump primed. You don't come here to get to feeling good. Baby, you ought to feel good when you get here. You ought to be here because you do feel good. You ought to be here because you do have a right spirit. I know we don't always want to run the aisles every day, every hour of the day. But you ought to at least be willing to. Gonna put it on them praise and worship people. They're gonna come in here and play something until their arm falls off. The drummer man just go right through the curtain back there. Everybody just wonder where he went. Passed out. Why? Because we've been obsessed with everything that's wrong in the world. My God, turn the news off. Seriously? Well, I need to know what's going on in the world. Which world do you want to know what's going on in? This world or the eternal world? This kingdom or the spiritual world? My God, tune into a different channel. If this world's depressing you, turn it off. That's what I do. My God, let me go on and get on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and Snapchat, and blah, 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 whatever all else. Turn it off. For God's sake. It ain't no wonder we don't have gifts of the Spirit operating in the pulpit no more. We got preachers can't get off Facebook and then they get in the pulpit. God wants to talk to the people of God and they can't say what God says because they're afraid you think they read it on Facebook. Oh. So you saying Facebook's a heaven or hell issue? Yes! For me! For me it is. I'm so tired of watching the saints of God that are supposedly filled with that Holy Ghost get on Facebook and talk about how bad life is. What life? Somebody help me, somebody do this, somebody, somebody made me. Blessed are they which love my law and are not easily offended. You know what I got to say to the saints of God to get their feelings hurt about everybody? By everybody? About everything? By everything? You don't love the word. How can you say that? Because the book said if you love the word, everything that offends you wouldn't offend you. People get offended because somebody don't shake their hand at the back door. I ain't going back over at that church. 
He didn't talk to me when I... Did the manager down at Walmart talk to you when you went rolling up in there with your entire paycheck and bought everything you could afford? No. Rude. Treat you like trash. That little old checkout person. You go in there laying like a mule eating briars. They looking at you like that food in that cart was in my pantry. You went to my house and stole my food out of my baby's mouth. Whoo! And you get out in the car after having been insulted and your integrity thrown around by that little cashier girl and you get out in the car and realize you left that mayonnaise back up on that shelf and you got two dollars left about the smallest and you gotta go back in there with your last two dollars to buy another jar of mayonnaise and the only line open is that thing you just dealt with. <laughs> and you will submit yourself to that abuse again. Walk up in there gonna act like you a Christian or something. Praise the Lord. And the whole time you're trying to be godly, they look like they're about to go ninja on you and come right up over that little old belt running and go slip. Whoa, my Christ Jesus don't come while I'm in that checkout line. I'm just saying. <laughs> Y'all just take a minute. I got my pressure up. I got to <laughs> dial it in here a minute. Whoo, help me. And don't, let's not talk about traffic. People got their driver's license out of a Cracker Jack's box. And then go get behind a one-ton vehicle and act like you can drive. Oh, God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's one thing if I desire that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Oh, God, let's read that one more time. Get my. <laughs> Finally, brethren, now that I've got all that out of my system, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, the notion is if there's no virtue in it and there's no praise that can be had from it, stop thinking about it. Hello, somebody. That's powerful. That's powerful. Don't worry. Be happy. That one little fellow saying. Those things which you have both learned and received. Remember I said something about catching some things in the spirit. And heard and seen in me. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. So again, the things which you've learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do them. Why? So the God of peace can be with you. And you'll understand why that's significant in just a second, if you hadn't already figured it out. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now in the last your care of me hath flourished again. I'm thankful that you've taken such good care of me, even in this time of need now. Uh... That now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. At the last, everybody say that, at the last. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever. What a powerful thing. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. <clears throat> I think some of us, the greatest apostolic miracle we could get from the Father is to be able to be content. 
I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do. It's not a matter of whether you can or not. When I used to counsel people, because I thought that was what we were supposed to do, I'd ask them at the end of it, are you going to do it? Well, I don't know. And my statement became, I know you can, because the scripture says you can. I just didn't know if you're going to. Because if you're not going to, we're not talking again. Hello? Not for less than $150 an hour. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, through Christ, which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, notice where, I can do all things, he says. Notwithstanding, you've done well that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church, no church, I'm out here by myself, communicated with me as concerning and giving, but you only. He's telling them, you Philippians, you know this to be the case, that in the beginning, when I first went to Macedonia, nobody talked to me and nobody did anything financially to help sustain me, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again under my necessity. But he don't trash the Thessalonians. He doesn't trash the Macedonians. He's just giving honor to those who did something for him. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that you may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephroditus the things which were sent from you in odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that a positive statement? Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Don't slap them. Don't drop kick them. Don't throw them off the porch. Salute them. Give them honor. Acknowledge them. Salute them. The brethren which are with me greet you. I'm not here by myself. There's some folks here with me. All the saints salute you. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, whoever's playing the piano today, would you come give the saints of God some misguided sense of hope? And let them think I'm almost done. I really am. This book is a powerful book. And if you just look it up online, um, just as a casual curiosity, you'll find out that it is considered the happiest book of the Bible. And... uh, it's easy to see that, really, because of all the positive things that Paul had to say. Um, he's talking about loving one another. He's talking about don't gripe and complain and don't, don't do these things, but have these positive characteristics. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are lovely. Think about it. When you look at all of the stuff Paul's teaching, if, if, you, if you and I could just take the book of Philippians and figure out a way to live by it, the gifts of the Spirit, they'll, they'll be there. Supernatural ministry, they're going to be there. And they'll flow a lot better if we could take entire books like Philippians. Just live by it every day. Conduct ourselves according to these laws and principles here. Treat one another the way this book says treat one another. How good it is. But the happiest book of the Bible 
Have you ever been around some people that were so miserable that they would gripe if you just hung them with a rotten rope? It don't matter what you did. Beat them with a wet spaghetti noodle. They're they going to gripe and complain and just find something to be miserable about. But the happiest book of the Bible was written from three of the worst places in the world. The prison at Caesarea and two prisons in Rome. It's, multi, it's three letters combined into one book written by one man who was enduring abuse and hardship. And as he said, at the last, here at the last, facing the end of my life, this is still my attitude. Hold on to those good things. This is going to be a worthy struggle. I can tell you that there have been more days than I would really like to admit that I've asked the Lord that question. I've asked myself that question. I made the mistake of calling Bishop one day and asking him that question. And in classic Bishop form, he was so kind and gracious, let me get my question out of my mouth. And then he thundered back with a response. Are you kidding me? The happiest book of the Bible was written from the worst places on earth in the worst conditions. If Paul can still have that frame of mind, even there, what in the world should prevent me from having that same frame of mind now. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song, I have a Bible I can read, I have a Bible I can read, but if I fail to read and my soul is lost, it's nobody's fault but my own. I have an altar I can pray, I have an altar I can pray, but if I fail to pray and my soul is lost, it's nobody's fault but my own. This church business was never intended to save you. More people will go to heaven on rapture day from somewhere besides a situation like this. And we have mastered ourselves on living right temporarily. We've got to learn how to live right every day. Every situation. Every circumstance. Several years ago, Jesse Ventura proved what a low intellectual life form he was. And he made a statement. He said, Christianity is for the weak. I'm like, son, you, you, you have no idea the guts and the courage it takes to stand for something. To believe something. To follow him. This isn't for the weak but it'll help the weak be strong. The happiest book of the Bible David asked the Lord to do a few things for him that really astound me. Know me. Try me. Created me. Making me. I I want my life, my ministry to first be introspective before it's externalized. I want the gifts of the Spirit to work on me before they work through me. I I put this in my little note 
app on my little iPad a while ago, but this morning early, last night, yesterday morning early, on the plane yesterday, I kept thinking about revivals, and, and the phrase just keeps coming to me. We love revivals that do things for us. But we really don't like the ones that do things to us. We want the ones that will bring fruit, but we don't want the ones that prune the tree. And if we're going to be saved, I believe we are. There's a great hunger here. But I'm telling you, whatever's next for you, whatever's next, however much time you've got left in this building, whatever's next in ministry, whatever you may be here till Jesus comes for all I know. Let me ask you a question. Could you stay saved if you had to keep using this building until Jesus comes? <laughs> Pretty weak. Could we do it if we have to keep tearing down and putting up every week? And, and have a right spirit and right attitude and be happy when Jesus comes? Because let me tell you something. On that morning that you decide it's okay to have your constitution wadded up in a knot, and your Christianity is by the wayside and these principles of Philippians are not the guiding principles of your life, there may be somebody that walked in that door even on today that yesterday they were really thinking hard about suicide. Matter of fact, there is somebody in here that did that yesterday. And if I hadn't had my mind right, what good am I to them today? If I can't get a Christian attitude and get my character right, what good are all the gifts of the Spirit to somebody that's in this room today that yesterday didn't even want to live another 24 hours? Did y'all know there's somebody in here that had that thought in their head yesterday? Just yesterday. Stand with me. The fruit of the Spirit in your life is not for your benefit. It's for somebody else's. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, that you might have that more abundantly. The fruit of the Spirit is life. All these characteristics that are a part of that. <clears throat> but if what's flowing out of me don't bring life to somebody, there's something wrong with me. Come around the front with me while he's playing. Everybody just get out of your seat come around this front. We got just... 12 minutes here. Press your way up here. Come on. Yeah, come on. Make room. Move forward as much as you can. Now, I want you to take another step. And I want you to find somebody that you can lay a hand on their shoulder, put your arm around them or something, and begin to pray for them. I'm not going to just keep talking to you. There's a flow of the Holy Ghost here. Somebody needs to be ministered to. Somebody needs to be blessed. Somebody in this very room has been struggling with depression and sadness and sorrow on an epic level.
Come on, let the Lord flow through you right now. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are of a good report, whatsoever things are righteous, whatsoever things are lovely, pure. Come on, let Jesus move through you for a minute. Let your character become the avenue through which the Holy Ghost flows. Let the gifts of the Spirit operate through a right spirit today, right motive. There you go. Come on. In Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hey, ando musika ta, otono moto ikata ye, ala la manda na roboko. Il rono ria na maria na na maria na na maroboko toria ta ye, ala la mono ria ta bahaye. Yes, Jesus. Yes.
Hallelujah. 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 Just simple math. I've averaged probably 50 plus Sunday mornings every year for now over 39 years. So sometime in the next few months here, if I could somehow go back and calculate it, I will be passing my 2,000th anniversary of Sunday mornings. I don't know if in those 2,000 Sunday mornings I've ever heard a message delivered like today. I say this because he understands where I'm coming. I know, I've known Brother Shelton. I was, we were laughing about it. We were in California together uh, ministering in our past cross, and we were joking about it. I met him in 1995. And he's kept me laughing ever since. Right? 1995, I met him, San Antonio, Texas, down at the altar as he got his first taste of being wrung out by the bishop. And I was standing there watching the massacre, 15 years old. I've known him a long time now, well over 25 years. I know Brother Shelton's reputation and the way he flows, and maybe he does this every week. I don't know. I have to admit, I don't really chase you around the country watching all of the things you do. So maybe you do this regularly. I don't know in 25 years of hearing a minister have ever heard him do what he did today. And I say all that because he doesn't, and I say this with all sincerity, he doesn't know what we've taught the last two years. But God brought him here today that was more confirmation than if he'd have stood up here and prophesied. Because in four books of the Bible, he summed up what God has taken this church on a two-year journey to try to get us to become. He summed it up in four books today. Didn't add a lot of commentary. He just read the word. That was so prophetic and so on point to where God has this. Because we have been saying for the last number of years our reputation doesn't need to be about what all the, all the speaking in tongues and casting out the devil and all that. That's great and come with it. But if we don't have love one for another, by this shall all men know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. We, not, I don't, we, too long, and I say this, and I'm appreciative for it, but too long we've been a church known for the, for the gifts and all that. But we are also a church known for bickering, backbiting, gossiping, tearing one another down. If you're hurting, don't go there. They'll tear you down. If you're hurt, go away from. Instead of being a place where you run to, because that's a place where you'll find love and healing and hope and someone that will hold you and say, you know what, we're here, we love you no matter what. This was a perfect spoken word from God today that Sazaniac West I have you where I want you and stay with it until the work is completed. Because you know what? He said, these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we recognize one thing. They had been with Jesus. Why would they recognize they were been with Jesus? Because they were acting like Jesus. They carried the image and the characteristics. That's why they were called Christians. 
Christians are Christ-like. They came up with a terminology to describe what they saw with their eyes. You're a Christ-like, therefore you're a Christian. Now Christian has become a slang term, a, a term just, oh, you're a Christian. But we've forgotten what it means. It means to be like Him. I don't care if you speak in tongues until you have an accent. If you're not like Him, it's worth nothing. If you can't love somebody and care for them and you're always getting offended or hurt or always got something in your craw about something, about this or about that, I'm sorry, you're going to stand before God and be very disappointed when He says, depart from me, I never knew you. But if we would get this, because you know why? I thought about it today. Uh, Brother Shelton, when you were ministering, we could have come in here and had demonstrations of the gifts, but it would have affected this room. But when you change your character, you affect the world. Because when you walk on the job tomorrow, they don't care you speak in tongues. They don't care that you saw seven angels here today. They don't care that somebody was delivered. They care, do you have character that makes you different? Because you know what? For so long we talk about, well, I go to a church and we believe this and we believe that. And so we somehow have all this specialty. But they look at you and go, wait a minute. You say all that, but your character don't match what you're preaching. I'm not saying we get rid of all that. We stop doing that. I want the, we want the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, power and spirit and all that. We want all that. I want to see people walk in here bound and delivered. The moment they walk in the door, chains fall off. We want all that. But what good is it if our character and the way we operate outside of this room never changes? We can pat ourselves on the back all we want because, why good, God really moved today. But we never affect anybody beyond that door. But when I let him, as, as, as Brother Shelton was saying, when I let him revival of not what he does, but a revival of what he does in changing me, that's what affects it. That's what affects it. People should recognize who we are, not because we somehow are, we look different. They, we, they should recognize who we are because we act different. Because there's character. Would you just stand one more time? And I want you to just sincerely give God thanks and say, Lord, thank you for reminding me what you're doing in me. Thank you for reminding me what you're doing in me. In the name of Jesus. 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 Father, I pray in Jesus' name, you've started a work in this body. This has not been done by the hand of man. This has not been done by anybody's ideas. You started this work. You began this work in us in the beginning of 2018. God, you orchestrated, you have made everything about what you want to do. And Father, we stand here and the journey's not over. But I thank you today for the confirmation that you are doing a work in us. And I pray, God, don't let us off the wheel until you're finished. If that means, God, sometimes you got to break us down again and say, we're not done yet. There's some things that are that are not right, God. Don't let us off the wheel until it's finished. Let the work be finished in us. God, if every chair we pick up today is just another test of our character, then let us pick up chairs until you come. If every time we tear down and roll carpet up or get here in the morning and set up all this stuff, if that's what you're doing to perfect your character in us, don't let it end until you're done the work. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
In Jesus' name. Hatorobo kuturiata moshe katahaye. Ilunurumu kuturiande mosandala moshe itarata. Ekiandolo moshe karatea namahaye. Sikarobo sheki andarebo kuriata bahaya. In the name of Jesus. 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 I challenge you today to leave this place and walk in grace and walk in the love of Jesus Christ and walk in the character of Christ. I charge you to do that in Jesus' name. That when we leave out of those doors, what God has spoken in here is not. Remember, we talked about changing the attitude that we're, that this is not a church This is not a church building. It's a place to come to, to be trained, to be sent back out. This is what today was about. What can you do in here that when I leave out of here, I can impact Monday through Saturday? I charge you to do that in Jesus' name. Praise God.